Episode 20, it's the Eyes Have It podcast. My name is Chris Blessing. For those who don't know me, I am a prospect writer person guy and a host of the only fantasy prospect podcast who talks about dudes we've scouted in person or in some cases on video. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, the general manager of content at Baseball HQ, Brent Hershey. Brent, it's been two months since we last recorded an episode. A lot has happened since then, right? Yes. Wow. Two months has been crazy. Good to uh, good to be back at it with you and the uh, listeners out there. Yes, in the two months anyway, on my plate, I've had a lot going on. We've had uh, the first pitch Arizona in the middle of uh, October, uh, where we were at the AFL, and we will be talking about that uh, here to come in this episode. Uh, when I got back from that, we were in the middle of the baseball forecaster writing. I helped edit that and put that together. In the midst of that, too, kind of started doing some preliminary planning for the minor league baseball analyst, which is what I'll jump into uh, next week, assuming that um, the forecaster gets out the door. And uh, that will take us up through you know, January or so as uh, we all, as I'm part of that team, uh, of course, that you're on, and a big part of uh, a big part of what we put together for there too. So it is a busy time, even though it's uh, off season. Um, what have you been up to the past two months? Well, I haven't been putting together a book, so I mean that's uh, I got that going for me at least. Uh, yeah. I've been spending time with my family because <laughs> uh, baseball season doesn't really allow that. Which I guess Brent yeah. will start. Uh, Seeing his family again in uh, the, probably around Christmas time after all this uh, uh, is um, squared away with these various books. I yeah. uh, have been working on first, I went to Arizona. I, I worked on a Lindy's top uh, uh, phenoms yeah. list, which will come out sometime in February, I believe. I'm not the oh. best spokesman. I'm never quite sure when it shows up, but it will be on a newsstand close to you, whoever. Uh, and usually we'll have a player on the cover from your home market. So, like, who knows? It could oh, be yeah. Bryce Harper in uh, Brent's market oh, of Philadelphia. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I've been preparing for MLBA 2022. I have 12 organizations. Uh, I can never name them. If someone asks me which 12 they are, I always have to look them up. And I always miss uh, a different team each time. I always get to 11 and can never think of what the 12th team is. Uh, today it was uh, the Diamondbacks. I had forgotten that I uh, am contributing to the Diamondbacks now. Yesterday it was the Rangers. Somebody asked me, and I was like, I think I, well, that's only 11. And oh, oh yeah, the Texas Rangers. Okay. All right. <laughs> so that's basically what I've been up to. Cool. Well, I know, I know we both attended first pitch Arizona weekend, of course, the, uh, the four-day kind of conference, fantasy baseball conference that we at Baseball HQ have been putting on for many years. And uh, <clears throat> we had a great time that weekend, even though, as often happens, there were some curveballs uh, thrown to us during the, during the weekend. But we got to see some uh, good games out there. Uh, we, it was the first weekend of the Arizona Fall League. And I know that we've been 
you know, we've been kind of following that too, kind of on Twitter, the other folks that have been out there uh, in the industry. And of course, it, we had the Fall Stars game uh, was on television this past Saturday. Um, so I think, you know, we're going to devote kind of uh, this episode to uh, our looks from uh, from the AFL and the Fall Stars game. And uh, I mean, I wanted to start off with asking you, how serious can we be about these looks, you know, for the AFL? Uh, it's the end of a long season. It's just a short kind of six-week uh, window. What do, you, what do you think about when you watch players uh, at the AFL? I go into this much like I go into an amateur showcase. Uh, I know it's six weeks, and amateur showcase is over a weekend. And what four people don't know, prep, uh, prep ball during the summertime has uh, showcases for the upcoming draft class. It's essentially an introduction to the scouts. Uh, on these players. Uh, and these players are essentially auditioning for all 30 teams. And that's how I see the Arizona Fall League. And actually, uh, one of my one of the ex-media uh, guys that I know that's now on the organizational side of things, we'll say, uh, was the one that taught me this. He, he just said, he's like, I go to Arizona Fall League to look at these guys as if I'm looking to acquire them realizing that you're going to see a lot of wrinkles and a lot of warts uh, in these prospects because, A, some of them are coming off of injury. Uh, others are tired from a long, long season, uh, especially after this COVID year. Uh, there's a lot of tired guys. And then throwing another wrinkle, which is also from the COVID season as well, the pitching was horrible. Throughout the league, and I mean, it was from the get-go. Uh, we went to a game on the Saturday at Salt River where I think 17 runs were scored by one team. I think Salt River scored 17 runs. Yeah. And it was ugly, so ugly that they called the game early. Uh, it wasn't scheduled. Enough. Yeah, they didn't have enough pitchers. Didn't have enough pitchers, yeah. I know, that was, that was a first. It was uh, interesting to see, for sure. So, so yeah, so I, I take this look as a grain of salt. Uh, I also look at it as a way to see a bunch of prospects at once and, and get an idea of who they are and what they are, essentially. Uh, so that yeah, kind of leads on to the next part of it. Uh, go ahead, Brent. I'm sorry. I was going to say, yeah, that, that's one of the things that I've uh, always used, too, is just uh, it's a good place to see with our own eyes, with my own eyes, sort of the guys that we've heard about or have written about, uh, but have never seen in person. Um, so we're going to go through kind of a, a quick sort of a quick hit sort of thing where we sort of each assembled an AFL kind of six pack. Um, so the <laughs> six players that we picked out. Um, and again, with, with what you said in mind, uh, short looks and showcase sort of uh, atmosphere at times. Uh, we're just going to note a couple quick, a quick sentences, a couple quick notes on uh, these six players. Um, so you go th go through your six, uh, and then I'll go through my six, and we can uh, bat them around a bit. Maybe we'll bat them around a bit. Maybe uh, to keep the audience in suspense, we'll just uh, we'll we'll go through maybe one or two, and then switch over to the next guy. And then, you know, if there's any thoughts that either of us have on the guys that we mentioned, we can we can go into further detail. I I know that Brent. Uh, for instance, one of my prospects, Brent saw a bunch this year, so he has a 
he has a better foundation than I do when it comes to watching this guy. But I, I feel like when we get to that guy who will be my third guy, we'll be pretty much on the same page because I think we've talked about this already. So I'll start out. The guy I have is Marco Luciano, uh, who is a shortstop prospect in the Giants organization, somebody that everybody is talking about. And I've seen some chatter here and there about people concerned about his Arizona Fall League uh, stint. This is a guy who just came off of his 19-year-old se- 19 year old season. So he just turned 20. I scouted one game plus batting practice. I saw A on this assignment to the Arizona Fall League. This is a very aggressive assignment for age and level. The Giants believe that Luciano has the maturity to handle this aggressive assignment. And while while the stat line hasn't been the greatest, I feel like he has handled this well enough. I looked at this as a chance really for him to get his feet wet against advanced pitching. Uh, the biggest takeaway was really that uh, Marco was a beast. Like, he's a, an absolute beast of a man for somebody who's 19, 20 years old. Uh, double plus bat speed. I, I remember uh, Eric Longenhagen talking about him, seeing him on the backfields last year. And, uh, you know, Eric did it, it did it justice. He, he, he definitely, our fan graphs friend, definitely portrayed this guy correctly. Double plus power as well. Uh, I, I guess they call it light tower power is how they used to call it. Uh, pitch recognition and game planning ABs is what he needs to work on the most. Uh, you know, we saw this out of another prospect that, that I've been high on, Ezekiel Tobar, uh, who was this was in another aggressive assignment kind of deal. Uh, we, most 19, 20-year-olds don't succeed here at the Arizona Fall League because they're facing, even if the pitching's down, it's still pitching that's two or three levels ahead of them. So, like, I still view him as a top 10 fantasy prospect in baseball, uh, even a top 10 prospect. Like, on my Lindy's list, he's probably in the top 10. I mean, I can't share that, but he, you can probably see him as the top 10 prospect there. Uh, likely third baseman, the, mostly because the build and the range, he's not very smooth at shortstop. So, so that's kind of what I took away from him, uh, getting to see him with my own eyes and not just the video look. Going on to the next guy is a Brewers prospect. His name's uh, Joey uh, Weimer. All He was like all everything the first week. And I kept running into the Salt River Club at, like almost everywhere I went. If I went to, if I went away from Salt River, somehow they were there. Uh, this guy was a, is a 22-year-old. He will soon be 23. Has not reached double A yet. I think it was uh, Jason Collette from Rotowire that said that he look like Corey Schneider. Uh, if you remember, do you remember Corey Schneider? I do. Yes. Yep. Yes. Big the flowing blonde hair. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flowing blonde yep. hair, big power guy. I think Schneider also had some speed. I remember he wasn't really the most patient hitter in the world. Uh, yeah. and, and that's where Weimer's a little different. So this guy has, I, I personally think Weimer has better hair than Corey Schneider ever had. Uh, um, long flowing blonde locks. I know that we don't normally get into that kind of thing, but it, it's a unique thing to see. Uh, <laughs> even yeah. today, with guys with long hair, is to see those flowing blonde locks. Anyway, he hit anything and everything in his uh, the week that we were there. Uh, he just feasts on fastball, and I, I, I can kind of see why. He had a, a dynamite season. He's a kid from the University of Cincinnati uh, and was taken in the 
fourth or fifth or sixth round. I can't remember from uh, from Cincinnati by the Brewers. In well, it couldn't have been the sixth round because uh, there wasn't more than five rounds in uh, 2020. But uh, the thing that's concerning watching him and. I went back and watched some video from previous uh, from from his college days where uh, I can't believe that the hitch in his load was even worse back then. Uh, mm-hmm. But he it takes a while for that bat to get started. And that's where the concerns come in. Uh, he's patient at the plate. Uh, I think it's more because he's just looking for a fastball. Uh, he's looking for a fastball in a location and trying to drive it. And of course, you know, that's successful when you're facing pitchers that are just hoping to get it over because uh, you're on Salt River and you are in the automated strike zone, uh, uh, you know, uh, stadium. For the listeners that are not familiar, uh, the Arizona Fall League has one stadium with uh, that calls balls and strikes, an automated strike zone, and it's Salt River Stadium. I, in some respects, I kind of saw guys cheating. And, and and you could even see it during the Fall Stars game where, where guys were cheating, uh, knowing that, Hey, if it's out of the strike zone, it's not going to be called a strike. You know, there's not human error here. But my my thinking with Weimer is he's going to have some issues with uh, pitchers, uh, more advanced pitchers, guys that will take advantage of the fact that that hitch will will mess with his reaction ability at the plate. So overall, good speed guy, good power combo guy, just like kind of like Corey Snyder. But you know, there is that concern that. Some of that hit tool that we saw in high A and low A this year will uh, disappear. So there's my first two guys. Uh, I see that you've picked a Philly, which is obviously uh, everybody could have predicted that, uh, that Brett would lead off with a Philly. So tell us a little more about Bryson Stott. Yeah, I mean, Stott, I knew, I, and by the way, I knew that you were going to give me hassle about that. That's why I put it up. Uh, whatever. The first one I was going to talk about. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> You're, you, you, are you excited about the old uh, fanatic coming back? Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay, I, yeah that, 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 was, that was a big part of my week this week. Yeah. And, and now we were yeah. able to say that in here that the fanatic is coming back. If only the Phillies had signed Noah Syndergaard, then you could have really. You know, feasted on the fact that the Phillies are are going somewhere right now. Yeah, Scott, uh, you know, has is is someone that has had a really good fall league, um, and it started out from the beginning. The weekend we saw him has uh, continued on through uh, last week. Um, I think one of the most impressive things about it about his fall league is he leads the league with 21 walks. Um, when I saw him throughout the year, uh, this year during the regular season, I mean, one of the things that stood out is just the, um, his, his patience at the plate, the ability to kind of to spit on close pitches that are away and wait on ones that he can drive. And up, you know, up until this year, I didn't know if he really had the, or he hadn't shown really the power, uh, to take advantage of that. But, uh, certainly someone that, uh, I noticed at the fall stars game batting practice, I mean, the futures game batting practice, excuse me in Denver. Uh, and then, you know, hits, he hit, has hit for power, uh, a 950 OPS, uh, here in the Arizona Fall League. I mean, it's interesting. Um, you know, Phillies haven't had a good, obviously uh, a good record of developing these younger players. Uh, but, uh, Dave Dombrowski a week or so ago kind of, uh, has mentioned that, 
Stott may have a chance to make the club uh, in the spring uh, if if he is able to there at shortstop, and they certainly uh, could use his left-handed bat there. So that's, uh, that's a little bit about Stott. The second guy I have on here was uh, J.J. JJ Bladet, who by all accounts at the beginning, you know, when we were out uh, at First Pitch Arizona, again, it was the opening weekend, um, we had some chatter about the guys we were going to see uh, throughout the weekend, and there was a lot of uh, kind of hand-wringing, and, and you had talked about it too, I think, during the year, uh, about Bladet's really uh, down season. Uh, this year at Double A in the Marlins organization. Um, this is my first time that I saw him, and I I was really uh, I was kind of you know impressed by the swing really. And I think you know there's been some talk uh, as the weekend went on and and here as he's continued to play well throughout the AFL season about uh, you know about some adjustments he's made to really impact the ball better. It's you know it's really working. He has five. Five homers and eight doubles, uh, an OPS over a thousand. He uh, had uh, a couple hits in the course of the MVP of the Fall Stars game over the weekend. Um, so it was interesting to, for me to see uh, Blade kind of uh, ionized for the first time, and and you know to see him kind of improving. Uh, as we think about his fantasy stock, uh, you know it, it's certainly down right now, uh, given given his disappointing full year. And, you know, it might be someone that you are able to acquire cheaply for a dynasty league or a keeper team. Knowing yeah. your history, knowing your history with Blade, obviously I'm interested in your uh, take of what you've seen and what you've uh, learned about uh, about how about his good uh, AFL season. The guy I saw this year was much different than the guy I saw at the Arizona Fall League in the sense that it seemed like Blade was game planning his at-bats. Uh, it seemed like Blade had a had a I don't know was was actually identifying pitches and being able to drive the ball. I, I think that was the most impressive thing. I mean, the swing plane's there. The swing's pretty. I mean, uh, I was just yeah. looking at uh, some of my open side looks at him on my video camera, and like it's a pretty swing. Again, I want to caution people: six weeks. There was chatter last year at the ATS that he did not necessarily impress people. And there's chatter at the instructionals that he wasn't a very impressive player as well. So, like, we're, we've gotten almost two years of reports since he's been drafted that haven't been the most favorable reports. How does six weeks play into that? Uh, I, think, I think at least I'm a little more excited. I think at least... He makes my personal top 100 fantasy prospect list. But what I'm afraid of is that there's, because the eyes are on you during this time, essentially, it's not necessarily the same grind as the major league season or the minor league season, I should say. Those eyes on you might end up getting him ranked a little higher than than he probably should anticipate. I mean, really and truly, uh, at the beginning of the fall league, the question was, was Cameron Misner Another one of the Marlins prospect had he leapfrogged Blade in the rankings. And I will say this. I think that I'm a little more cautious with Misner now than I am with Blade. Uh, Misner showed some difficulties. Misner actually looked like in the Arizona Fall League what J.J. Blade looked like all season, if that makes okay. sense. 
Yeah. Uh, so like very talented guys, very similar guys, guys that will be compared um, very favorably to each other um, in the next year or so uh, as they begin to make their debut. So transitioning a bit, going to one of Brent's favorite prospects from this season, uh, my third prospect's Brent Beatty, the third baseman from the Mets. He was on Salt River team with uh, Joey Weimer, who we just discussed. Uh, uh, Brent's, of course, touched this on this a lot. And, like, I'm not going to say I didn't believe you, Brent. Like, the video all backed it up. But, um, you know, when you finally get to see a guy and see him do everything that Brent and the video showed him doing, uh, it was quite impressive. This is a guy that maybe doesn't necessarily have that top exit velocity uh, profile. Like his max EV, EV numbers may not be the greatest. But this guy is consistently hitting the ball over 100 miles per hour off the bat. And so when you're kind of looking at that and, you know, going into a little bit of scouting scale thing. So we're saying double plus power is a guy that gets to 110 miles per hour. Uh, batted ball uh, profile uh, with a, a certain launch angle. Uh, not quite sure what that launch angle is yet. I'm kind of working on that myself. That might be an article in MLBA this year. Might be an article next year for Baseball HQ. Not quite sure where I'll get researching this. But anyway, uh, 110 is relatively double plus power. And he's not a guy that consistently gets into the 110s. He's a guy that kind of lies in that whole 100 to 110 uh, uh, area. Like a lot of his contacts tends to be 105, 106, 107 miles per hour. And it's with a flatter swing plane. So, uh, you know, it's a, it's a difficult, it's still a difficult eval to figure out how much power this, this relatively big man is going to get into uh, because of that launch angle. But like it's, and I was talking to somebody just the other day about this and Thinking about Christian Yelich, Christian Yelich was kind of like this guy in the minor leagues. And before you guys all go out and say, Chris said that he was like Brett Beatty's Christian Yelich. I'm not saying that. I'm saying that there's a similar swing profile here where the guy's not necessarily hitting the ball uh, with much launch angle. And, you know, we know how the first few years of Yelich's career went. But see, the thing is, Yelich was getting... We didn't have the data back then, but it was probably getting to 110, 115 uh, max EV, EV uh, numbers when, you know, Beatty's max EV might be just 109. Uh, but anyway, uh, line drive hitter all fields. Uh, I mean, it, this just paints a perfect, like a, a great story for a high hit uh, guy that, that gets to power because of the velocity he consistently hits the ball at. If it continues, if he continues to to spray the ball like this and somebody doesn't necessarily try to pump into some pull power and, and kind of mess up this profile, this is a 280-290 hitter in the major leagues with, you know, 20-something home run potential. While not huge at third base, it's still something of a uh, of a commodity because he, you know, he can get that, that high average in this day of age is – something we're missing out. And I, I don't believe he's going to be a high strikeout guy either. No, I mean, it's, it's, uh, there's, there's plenty of room on the uh, Beatty bandwagon. And we're glad to have you aboard there, Chris. Uh, yep. I, I thought just, just one quick thing is, you know, the false stars game. I just thought it was, was a classic His double was just a classic Beatty swing. There was like a <laughs> yep. low 74 curveball. 
He just waited on it, hands back, and then just drove it to the opposite field warning track for a double. I mean, that's that's what I had seen in in him during the regular season, and I saw it when we were out there uh, in person that weekend. Uh, and it just was uh, to me, it just was a classic thing. And like you said, it's going to be uh, the question for him, fantasy wise, will be how much uh, how much power will develop out of that. But I think too that there's a very solid plus kind of batting average hitter there with Beatty. Yeah, so my second guy is another guy that I think we both saw, and he was a guy that starred on the, the Fall Stars game, I believe. I'm not 100% sure. I, I, I'll i admit to the audience I only watched a few innings of the Fall Stars game. Uh, I, I felt like I had a lot to go. I felt like I had a lot to go on and stuff. And again, I you know I could always ring up one of my many friends that was at that stadium and ask him, hey, what do you think about this guy? And you know, at least get another opinion on somebody. But Owen White, who's a prospect in the Rangers organization, a pitching prospect who uh, has come off of Tommy John and has been probably the best pitcher in the AFL this year, uh, got to see his first start. Uh, uh, Owen was a pitcher for Surprise this year and got to see him when I was over at Surprise prior to, I think I went to two Surprise games. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Nothing really stands out about o- Owen White except for the fact that he's the sum of all of his parts and his ability to command those parts make him a future major league starter, probably in the back end range, but you know maybe somewhere else. Uh, uh, he's a one. He's one of those guys that uh, utilizes both a four seamer and sinker ball. Uh, so like the four seamer is the pitch that he can get a swing and miss on of the two fastballs, mostly up. As it drops, uh, it tends to, because it has a flatter plane, and we've kind of talked about this at, at nauseum here, but the flatter plane fastball works best up. And when it's down, it's very hittable. The four-seamer, he thankfully keeps up most of the time. Uh, I, I did also look at some data at another game, and it seems like, uh, it seems like he did that in that game as well. The sinker's more used to uh, you know, generate ground ball uh, contact, he does well to stay under the swing plane of, uh, which is hard these days, of many of the hitters. He commands a tight 83 to 86 mile per hour slider with some, with more drop than slide. Also throws in a, a, a curveball that's more of a show me pitch. It's it's a straight downer, high 70s, uh, eye level changer, and he also threw, throws a changeup. Not super impressed with the pitch. Uh, solid fade, uh, didn't have the command that the, the game that I watched him uh, pitch. Uh, again, not really a strikeout dude. Pits into a back end um, swingman type role, which if you look at the Rangers organization, as I told you, I'm, I'm the guy that covers the Rangers for us and the MLBA and the organizational reports. I, I look at him and AJ Alexi, and I asked myself prior to this, who would I want? AJ Alexi or Owen White, and I think overwhelmingly I want Owen White. Uh, and it's most likely AJ Alexi opens the season with the Rangers, probably as a back end starter or a swingman type type guy. So, like, I, I rather this guy that's coming up over the guy that is going to find a role next year, uh, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I I, uh, I actually didn't see him. Uh, live at that game uh, you did. But I, it was someone that I was interested in when he came in. I think he came in in the second inning, uh, didn't start the game, uh, the Fall Stars game. 
And I thought he looked decent. I mean, again, uh, you write about the Rangers now. Up until last year, uh, that was one of the clubs that I covered. And Owen White was always when I was putting these lists together. Was always this guy that I had no. I mean, I knew the name. I knew he was a high pick, but like he had, I knew that he was hurt. But I had never seen him, you know, and and didn't have any reports on him really because because he had been hurt so much. Uh, so the first time seeing him, you know, here at the AFL, you know, he looks good. He has good size, you know, like I said, 94 and, and the slider looked really interesting. Obviously in the one inning, I didn't get the whole arsenal and that kind of thing. But uh, I mean, he's someone that I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of interested in. I think your uh, assessment is probably right with him being preferable to Alexi, but both of them kind of being in the mix for that kind of back end of the uh, Rangers rotation right now. But uh you know the stats anyway. He and the stuff that the reports we've heard. Uh, I think you would agree that he is, uh, you know, one of the cream of the crop pitchers out there uh, in Arizona this year. Mm-hmm. I'm going to talk about another Ranger uh, for my fourth guy is second baseman Justin Foscue, a first round pick from a couple of years ago, um, who was a uh, you know a college a college player and sort of a sort of a hit over power kind of second baseman when he was drafted, um, but just had a fantastic year and kind of flipped the script a little bit. And now is just a, you know, is more of a big power guy. Um, I got a chance to uh, see him over that weekend that we were out there. I think it was the Monday game that I stayed after. And he, he hit a long, no doubt or home run uh, in that game and I, you know, he was just, I was just impressed with the with the swing, how he used his lower half. He had a big, uh, long stride. Not a huge guy, but you know, just showed off more power. I think throughout the season and now in the in the fall league um, than people have expected. I think he's someone that's, um, you know, especially for a fantasy, is kind of moving up the list there, uh, our list uh, as far as interesting player. And I was, uh, you know, had, had some, I think he had a bobble or had an error uh, in the field. So maybe the, you know, maybe the defense is, is something he still needs to work on for sure. Um, but they do have him uh, playing. They had him playing a lot of second base uh, this fall. And I think, uh, you know, it's, again, someone to kind of uh, keep an eye on in that, uh, in, in that organization where certainly um, Texas is, you know, will have plenty of opportunities over the next, uh, several years for young players to take advantage. And the fourth guy I have is uh, a pitcher from the Nationals, Cole Henry. He was a fourth rounder, third or fourth rounder, I think from 2019 or 2020, uh, 2019, I believe, out of LSU, um, you know, a, a, a seasoned kind of college guy, um, had was always a hard thrower, uh, had a lot of control problems, or or, or that's what he came into the draft as uh, having control problems. And he also pitched uh, on this Monday game that I was, uh, that I was at out there, but has a really quick arm. He was, he's out there mainly because he was uh, hurt, has a, I think a shoulder or had an arm injury this year. So was making up some innings, but is striking out a ton of guys with 30 strikeouts through 19 innings pitched. Like you say, because it's, uh, you know, because it's hitter heavy, out there, I think someone like pitchers like White, uh, like Cole Henry, you know, that do really well, um, you know, you make an extra note of 
uh, for standing out there. The in the outing I saw that his fastball was strong. The um, you know the secondaries needed some work. The slider's inconsistent, um, but in this game his his changeup was really working well, especially against uh, lefties. He was getting a lot of uh, good fade on it, inducing some K's and and a lot of weak contact. Um, so Henry was in in high A this year when he pitched. Um, so he'll probably start out at Double A. Harrisburg next year and you know he's not kind of on the Cade Cavalli level yet and certainly uh, his history of injury is um, you know is, is something to watch uh, there um, but uh, but certainly the arm strength is one thing that uh, that stood out so yeah let me go to my next guy uh, Mackenzie Gore I'm going to be really quick on Mackenzie Gore saw his best there is in a false league start uh, uh, still a four-pitch pitcher. Uh, I mean, at times this year, I guess he's been a three-pitch pitcher. In the last few years, he's been a three-pitch pitcher. Uh, had to be very fine with his mid-90s fastball. Uh, velocity seems to have come back. Uh, not much quality movement with that fastball, which is something that we've never really talked in depth about, but has always been there. He's always been viewed as a guy that needed impeccable command with his fastball. Uh, you know, there was always a lot of Clayton Kershaw comps because of because uh, of his delivery, and uh, you know, it's a, there's a lot of athleticism in that delivery that's needed. And uh, to me, it just didn't seem like he's able to keep that going. Uh, just quickly going through the two guys that hit him the hardest were Brett Beatty, previously mentioned here, and Carlos Cortez, another Mets prospect, and uh, you know. His best pitch right now is a changeup, and the lefty batters are able to take that away from him. So essentially, like, they just feasted on the fastball and made very hard contact, both of them. Uh, I, I, Cortez mostly on the ground. That's, that's uh, Carlos Cortez, the Mets. Uh, uh, roll four guy. Roll four means uh, potential bench guy. I think that's his best outcome. I kind of see him as a roll three guy, uh, up-down player. And, and Beatty, too, who's you know, more like a roll five to maybe even a roll six at the power plays, uh, which would be a, uh, you know, a plus player. Uh, but anyway, uh, the changeup was his best pitch, and it was best fading out and tumbling, tumbling out of the zone. Uh, if you, you know, kind of going through some at-bats he had with uh, Spencer Torkelson, the big prospect with the Tigers, uh, the, when he was burying the pitch, where it was tumbling out of the zone, Torkelson couldn't handle it. So if we go back to college, Torkelson had some issues with the low pitch. And it seemed like in at least this at-bat, that's what Gore was trying, in these series at-bats, that's what Gore was trying to take advantage of. Uh, The difference between Torkelson in college and Torkelson now is that he makes adjustments. Uh, And he made an adjustment, hit an RBI double uh, down the uh, third baseline uh, on a changeup that just did not get to the location that Gore wanted it to get to. Uh, and so you can kind of see that, like, Gore's command is just not where it was prior. Uh, the curveball, um, which was his best pitch coming out of high, high school and something that he dropped over the last few years, it has made a comeback. It is not necessarily where it was in high school. Uh, it's kind of a very incomplete pitch at this point. And then the slider is just the main pitch. Uh I think Gore, I'd be very surprised if Gore shows up in any top 100 prospect list. Uh, uh, I would actually question the validity of anybody who puts him in the top 100 right now. 
uh, just because we don't know what's happening with this guy. Uh, it's not not really a slant on on the player, but more of a slant on, hey, we can't answer some questions about him. Is his issue something more than just command? Uh, is it stuff related? Is it what? We don't we can't really know right now. So very difficult evaluation on him uh, and glad that I don't have the Padres organization to to have to go into it. And then my final guy is the guy that the Giants traded to the Cubs uh, in the Chris Bryant deal, uh, Caleb Killian, uh, who we saw at Salt River on Saturday uh, uh, while we had our little reception for first pitch Arizona, uh, uh, not recorded out. Like, it was really bad. And, like, you don't want to go scout a guy on, on based on that. But he's a guy that has some helium. Uh, because he has one absolutely exceptional skill, and that's his control. Like, this dude does not throw balls out of the strike zone. And he's able to do that because of, like, a three variations of his fastball, essentially. He throws a four-seamer, a two-seamer, and a, a, a cutter. And those pitches, uh, the, the angles that they create, uh, the, the four-seam and the sinker are mostly in the low to mid-90s. The cutter kind of... Uh, gets to the high 80s, but mostly in the low 90s. Like it, the angles that it's he's able to create make those pitches a lot better than they really are, and that's why he's able to to live essentially in the strike zone so much and succeed. Uh, the curveball is a low to mid 70s pitch. It, it's it's a average offering, uh, but what really makes this guy um, uh, tick is his his. Uh, variations off of his fastball. So we're, we're seeing a guy that's most likely going to be uh, kind of like what we're seeing with Joe Ryan being a, you know, 70% fastball guy um, as a starting pitcher. I mean, that's where Killian's going to probably end up being is one of those guys, but it's going to be uh, instead of like Joe Ryan of the twins relying on that one pitch, it's, it's going to be Caleb Killian relying on three variations of the fastball like this is like a new wave of pitcher, uh, if that makes sense to the listeners. Uh, we're we're seeing a lot of guys that the profiles five years ago would probably have not been anything more than relief pitcher, uh, but today, you know, with the analytics and uh, understanding biomechanics so much uh, better than before, we're able to locate guys like Caleb Killian and even Joe Ryan before he was even. Uh, um, a major leaguer. My final two guys, uh, uh, last one is, or, or the last two, uh, the first one is Logan Ohapi, which is a catcher for the Phillies again. I'm sorry. Uh, but I just want to bring him up because, you know, he, it's just a great story. They drafted him in the 23rd round uh, several years back uh, out of uh, New York. So it was a cold weather uh, player. You know, coming in, he was lauded for his his defense and game calling skills. And over the past year or so, uh, year plus, really, uh, the bat has really just come around. So he's been out at the Arizona Fall League. Um, you know, he's, he's built strongly, um, athletic catcher, uh, but, you know, some doubles power right now. Um, and he's just really improved with the with the swing over the past several years he's another guy with really good really good patience now again i mean is is the patience because the pitching's so bad out there um, but he does have more 
you know, more walks than strikeouts uh, in Arizona. Um, and, you know, you'll definitely want to see him against better pitching. He was someone that uh, started the fall stars game and really struck out twice. Didn't look good at all. Uh, both on fastballs kind of up in the zone. So, you know, again, a guy don't have to prove it kind of every step along the way um, was in, in double a, and I think maybe a couple games in triple a, but he'll probably, you know, he'll be in the upper minors uh, for the Phillies over the next, uh, over this upcoming season. Um, and someone that I think is, uh, you know, could have some surprising value for them uh, because of how well he's, uh, how well he's, how, how well the hit tool has come along. Excuse me. And the last guy is uh, Hunter Bishop, outfielder for the Giants. And this is the, you know, this is a lot like uh, Luciano for me, uh, or even like we were talking about Owen White, like a guy you've kind of heard about because he was a high pick several years ago for the Giants, but has been hurt uh, for a couple of years. Um, we don't get to see where I'm at, kind of the, the low-level Giants, uh, you know, uh, affiliates at all. Um, and I... And he wasn't playing uh, the, the weekend we were out uh, for first pitch Arizona, but he certainly uh, on Saturday night, um, you know, put a great swing on a high fastball and just blasted a home run. Um, and, you know, it's just good seeing him healthy. He's a, a big dude, uh, you know, that obviously has had some injury uh, questions along the way. So that will, you know, continue to, be a part of this profile until he proves he can stay healthy. But uh looks like a, you know, looks like some interesting power, certainly from the left-hand side. And if, uh, if he's able to kind of put together a full healthy season, uh, I think it's someone that will kind of re-pop up on our, on our radar. Yeah. I was very interested to see him in the fall stars game and he didn't disappoint. I, uh, one of the few things I did see was him hit a home run. Uh, I mean, I was absolutely blasted. Uh, and I, I've heard that he has, uh, as an amateur, some of the uh, biggest blast data readings of all the, the college guys <laughs> of that draft class. So, you know, this is a guy that gets to that max EV, you know, exit velocity where it's uh, double plus for all power. Uh, yeah. It's just a matter of him staying on the field. The, there's a good underlying hit tool there. Uh, you know, just like every power hitter these days, there's some swing and miss with it. But uh, overall, I mean, solid player, a guy that I'm looking forward to see be healthy. Uh, uh, yeah. Guy that's maybe on the peripheral, the top 100s right now, uh, maybe even the top 150s because of the injury issues. But somebody definitely that could move up very quickly with health. Yeah. Um, so those are our two six packs. Uh, wanted to move on uh, quickly because when we were out uh, middle of October, uh, you did some additional uh, scouting um, at the uh, visiting a couple instructional league camps. Um, again, we were where our setting was for the weekend was right there at kind of the Cubs complex. And of course, the other uh, Arizona teams are all within uh you know, all within driving distance out there. So when you go to, I know you spent some time there, when you go to instructional league, you know, what's kind of, just give us a quick overview. What's the atmosphere like at, at, at these games? Just what's it like? It's like a scrimmage. Uh, 
And it depends which camp you're at. So I got to, uh, after seeing Owen White pitch, I went over to the complex in Surprise, uh, uh, which was right next door. Thankfully, uh, Chris Welsh of uh, Prospect One uh, got us through, so we didn't have to walk all the way around, got us through the player's entrance over to the Surprise complex. And uh, so when you're there, you're, uh, I ran into a scouting contact friend there who I actually went and uh, you know, also saw the Dodgers uh, White Sox complex in Glendale. And he said, like, you know, you're you're at one of these things. You're trying to get eyes on as many prospects as possible. You have no idea how lucky you can be. Like, for instance, the Dodgers complex, uh, that team seemingly had 100 guys on that roster. So you weren't quite sure which roster was showing up from day to day. So it was a, for for a for a scout based in Arizona, that's very difficult because uh, you you've got to get eyes on as many of those guys as possible. That's what you're being paid for. Uh, so that means there's a lot of trips to Glendale, who tends to play the White Sox a lot, who don't have the biggest roster. So you get to see a lot of the White Sox guys over and over, almost like overkill. But anyway, at that at that um, Royals uh, Rangers game that I first was at, uh, uh, it was a big contingent of people because of who was playing that day. Uh, the Royals' top three draft picks uh, that were pitchers. The three, you know, they they took some hitters in, in in the first three picks, but the first three pitchers they took were all on the mound. Uh, um, oh, wow. And their their top prospect, their top draft pick, Frank uh, Mazzucato. Uh, it was his debut, his international or international. Oh my God, instructional league debut, and uh, got to see him. Long limbed lefty. Uh, the velocity's not there. He's a guy that you have to do a lot of imagining about. Uh, you have to imagine that this guy's going to put on weight. Uh, the size, the delivery, to have some deception to it. It's basically a fastball curveball mix uh, uh, from a high three quarters uh, delivery. Uh, this guy looks like a dude that's going to be a lefty who throws 94, 95. So we're, you know, kind of, kind of like uh, uh, Blake Walston of the D-backs. We're waiting for that next step for him to take uh, right. that will make him a bona fide prospect. Uh, Mazzucato is basically Blake two years ago. Okay, so we're talking about a guy that it's going to be a slow burn to get there, um, but this uh, high – reward type guy if it, if it all plays out. Um, I, I, what, another interesting note at that complex is uh, you'll get to also see guys that are kind of like the unexpected. Uh, so uh, the reports out of uh, Rangers camp was that Jack Leiter was going to work out in Nashville all offseason and he was going to skip instructional league. So when I was in the surprise stadium watching Owen White, I noticed that uh, one of the Royals instructors, Mike Sweeney, uh, as you all know, uh, who Mike Sweeney is, if you're a baseball fan, uh, the former Royals all-star DH. Uh, and then I noticed he was talking to Al Leiter. And yes, MLB uh, personality Al Leiter was, you know, that's not really something for MLB uh, network personality Al Leiter to cover. So things started to go off in my head, so I kept my eyes open. And there was a dude throwing in plain clothes and like workout clothes. And it was Al Leiter, uh, son, Jack Leiter. So I got to see Jack Leiter throw a little. 
75%, but like not everybody there got to see it. I mean, there were some, some big name prospect uh, cover writers that were concentrating, I guess, more on Mazzucato than, than maybe I was, I was walking back and when I noticed it, but like, I got to see Jack Leiter throw on the side, which was pretty awesome. Uh, so you never know what you're going to see at a place like that. Um, so, you know, kind of opening up uh, White Sox Dodgers complex. I went there for a 1030 game on a Saturday. Uh, I got to see Wes Kate, who was the uh, White Sox second pick in this last draft. He was a third baseman from the Phoenix area, a high school kid. Uh, and, and he's a guy that I saw up on a lot of first year player draft uh, um Frankings, and I'm going to just say to to put on the brakes with those rankings right now. Um, this is a guy that uh, is you could see the talent, you you can understand why he was a second round pick, uh, but he has uh, essentially struggles to get the bat started. Uh, he has a bat wrap; it's a pretty pronounced bat wrap that's wrap uh, that is causing him delays in responding to pitches so he can't get to uh like low 90s fastballs like he can't get to them unless he guesses correct on the pitch uh so a lot of swing and miss i think i counted i think i stopped counting after eight swings and misses in this little scrimmage Hmm. Uh, the the like i'm just a little concerned because it's the white Sox who don't have a track record of developing prep hitters like, there's a big concern. Like, if he was in another organization, I might be like, oh, yeah, they'll, they'll coach it out of him. But I, I haven't seen any instances where the White Sox coach this out of a guy. So, um, so like, in uh, MLBA, he'll be an 8E. But, like, that E could have been, like, even a lower grade if we had a lower grade because, like, <laughs> the potential's there. But, like, I just don't believe it. And I hope that – I hope I'm wrong. I really do. And then I got to see two huge Dodger uh, prospects, uh, Wilman Diaz, who is the top one of the top signings of the 2020 amateur free agent uh, Caribbean class, the July 2nd class that actually signed on January 15th of 2021. And, you know, when you're looking at guys for the first time in a very controlled setting for three at bats, you don't really get much out of it. Uh, you're really kind of just trying to look for uh, flashes of why this guy was such a dynamic signing. And, uh, you know, the biggest flash I saw was a defensive play that he made that uh, showing cat-like quickness and really soft hands um, on a play that was in, you know, behind uh, the second base bag that he got to. I mean, very, very athletic play. He, Obviously, was facing a little more advanced pitching. The White Sox uh, uh, team was made up of a bunch of low-A pitchers. This is a guy that played in the Dominican Republic this year in the Summer League. So, you know, the more advanced pitching that he saw was a bit of a struggle. He's a guy that probably starts out in Arizona next year. So he's like a year away from being in full-season ball. So, like, you're just looking for dy- uh, dynamic moments. And I got to see one of them when he lined a fastball over the shortstop's head for a single. Uh, you know, probably EV somewhere around 105, 106. 
And and the crazy thing is, is I don't think he got all of the ball. So like you could see what kind of power this guy could potentially have if he develops into it. And then the final guy is uh, uh, Rene, I guess is how it's pronounced, uh, Dosson, uh, shortstop who also signed in the same class. I, uh, he was playing third base uh, during this this game. I like his size. I think that this guy grows in to become a power hitter. Uh, he has good mechanics at the plate. He has a relatively quick bat, and it, and his plate discipline's a bit more uh, advanced than than Wilman Diaz. So again, you're we're talking about 16, 17 year olds. We're not, we're not talking yeah. about one year olds here. So like this is these are the kind of things that you look for in the amateur side of things, and I felt like he put together some at bats against some some advanced guys that I would have expected him to struggle with, um, and that in some cases Diaz struggled with. So uh, I mean that that was my look. It, it, it's it's incredible to look at in structural league or uh, extended spring training or just uh, minor league spring training because you really just don't know what you're going to run into. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, uh, really fun. I mean, that you got a couple good looks at, uh, guys that, uh, you know, are a bunch of years away. Um, but, but having that, uh, kind of that first look for you in your mind of, of that sort of really sets the, sets the stage for, you know, continuing to track their evaluation, uh, up through, uh, complex leagues to full season ball to the high minors to you know hopefully the majors so yeah uh, good 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 stuff good stuff there a little bit of a segue from our live looks is a preview of the minor league baseball analyst which is uh brent's big next project after the baseball forecaster brent tell us a little bit about the book yeah, I mean it's it's my project was certainly all of uh, your guys <laughs> too. You you uh, you and uh, Jeremy Deloney and Rob Gordon, who we've had on here, play a big part as well. Um, yeah, it's basically our minor league companion to the baseball forecaster. Uh, will come out in uh, in late January. Kind of has you know three or four major things in it. We have uh, player boxes that that go over kind of a player's scouting report um we have we cover about 900 players for that we have different rankings uh from the hq 100 which is our overall ranking to all different rankings by position by certain skills you know best power guys um even sort of best uh, strikeout pitchers that kind of thing uh and then as you mentioned earlier uh we have a subset of kind of articles that may look at individual scouting type of terms uh, and or processes, uh, as well as uh, things that are more fantasy kind of applicable uh, there. So we're, yeah, the next uh, six, eight weeks is, you know, is kind of when we put all those pieces together. It's a great fun uh, time of the year to to dig into that in December, uh, November, December, and early January, and uh, invite anyone to check us out, check out that are pages about that uh, baseballhq.com. Yeah, uh, again, this is just like the baseball forecaster. If you miss ordering through us or, you know, you end up ordering through Amazon, we would prefer you order through us, uh, of course, at baseballhq.com. But yeah, 
the great thing I always find with this book is I find it on newsstands. You know, I find it, I find it, at, I found it at Barnes and Noble one year. And I, I thought that was pretty cool that I was in Barnes and Noble. Uh, and actually at that same time, Lindy's magazine was out. So I was in like two things at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> Did they have the blessing, uh, you know, the blessing file or whatever, the blessing uh, <laughs> shelf? <laughs> no, that was that was also like the year it was. I don't know if it was it was the last year I did not contribute to the forecaster. So like there was a lot of Brent Hershey around there too. You know, Brent yeah. Hershey uh -huh, yeah. was in multiple places. Uh, just kind of quickly on the process of our evaluation at Baseball HQ for this. Uh, you know, unlike what I do during the season where. Uh, I'm providing scouting reports on guys, individual scouting reports. This is kind of like pulling our friends. Uh, of course, I'm the one writing this. And of course, my judgment, if it's the 12 teams or if it's Brent's three teams or if it's Jeremy's teams or Rob's team, the final judgment's on us as the main writer of it. But we're pulling, you know, going to contacts, talking to contacts, talking to each other. That's one of the greatest things. Like, so... You know, Brent got to see uh, Foscue, uh, Justin Foscue, and I didn't get to see him. Uh, so that's less research I'm going to have to do because I can talk to Brent about him or just rewind this and, and, and get, you know, which is pretty consistent with what I heard from a contact just the other day about uh, Foscue. Uh, but anyway, it, it is a our most complete evaluation of 900-some prospects. Uh, that that you'll get all year, and of course, uh, and Brent didn't mention this, but there's also organizational reports at BaseballHQ.com that go a little bit further, a little bit deeper for our subscribers, and you'll you'll get a little more content from there than what you would see in the book. This is like a jubilee of stuff between what you get at Baseball HQ and what you get in the minor league baseball analyst, and you know this is something. How many years has this been going on? Uh, this is this will be the 16th edition of the minor league baseball Island. 16 years 17 17th, 17th, 17th edition so like this is a a brand that is tried or true and it might be something you know you've come to this podcast and haven't realized all the things that baseball HQ does and hopefully you've checked out and and pre-ordered the baseball forecaster uh, which does have some content from yours truly, has a lot of content from Brent Hershey, a lot of editing from Brent Hershey, from what I understand, and layout, a lot of uh, editing. Lot of editing. Uh, but like these, these are great books that uh, win awards. Uh, Minor League Baseball Analyst was uh, actually nominated last year for a uh, best fantasy publication, right? We, uh, we yeah. lost to Baseball Forecaster, uh, which was a win for us since Brent you know, lays that out and is one of the editors and I contribute words to it. So this is still a win for us, but not not the win that I wanted. I wanted a win for the, for the minor league baseball analyst so I could go in your face, everybody else at Baseball HQ. <laughs> uh, but anyway, I think, I think that everybody, you know, has a good grasp of what, what we're providing. And, you know, uh, if you have any questions about our products or any questions about the podcast, always feel free to reach out to us. Uh, and, uh, you know, Brent's going to go through a little spiel in a second, but like we're here during the off season and uh, usually sometime in January, we kind of take over Twitter and do a little bit of a Q&A and expect that to come. And 
And hopefully, uh, you know, sometime early in the spring, we start up with our, uh, I guess we're going to have to renumber our podcast uh, um, with uh, season two next year of our podcast coming back. Uh, so, Brent, would you do the honors of closing us out? Sure. Just thanks, everyone, again, uh, for listening to this episode of the Eyes Have It. Um, you can contact us. As Chris said, we'd love to have uh, questions uh, for a future show. You can email us at, at the eyes have it at baseballhq.com or, of course, reach out to us on Twitter. Uh, Chris is at C underscore blessing, and you can find me at Brent HQ. Thanks for being with us at our um, Arizona Fall League show, and uh, we look forward to connecting with you all again uh, in early 2022. <laughs>